feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, today we're mourning the loss uh, of our love of film because this movie just broke me. (laughs) (laughs) It broke me too, man. It broke me too. Uh, Today we are reviewing Judd Apatow's The Bubble, uh, starring, you know, quite the cast of Karen Gillan, Iris Apatow, Fred Armisen, Maria Bakalova, David Duchovny, Keegan-Michael Key, Leslie Mann, uh, Kate McKinnon, uh, Pedro, Pedro Pascal, Peter Serafinowicz, uh, Gus Kahn, uh, someone else wanted me to shout out uh, Verdas, who's in the movie as well. Uh, there's a, a ton of cameos, um, which are we going full spoilers for this? Probably, right? I don't care. We're going full spoilers. The movie's been out for a whole weekend. So on Netflix. Uh, on Netflix, which everyone can check out now. If you own. want to, if you uh, morbidly is Morbius, go check out our Morbius review. We had a bad weekend, Eric, let's just say, or a bad and weekend. <laughs> it's been this movie. So I will start by saying Judd Apatow. I've been a Judd Apatow apologist, not for what his comments after the Academy Awards. Those were gross and weird and, and not cool and just kind of weird. Um, but I, for his movies, like, you know, I, even with their length, you know, I really, really do like 40 year old virgin knocked up, um, funny people. I even like a lot. I just rewatched it. Um, this is 40 is when it started to go, okay, maybe we need to dial it back here a little bit. And even before with the length on, on those things. And then this is 40 train wreck and even King of Staten Island, which I liked quite a bit last, uh, or it feels like last year, but it was at the beginning of the pandemic, which was 2020. Um, he's back with a new film, the bubble, which feels, uh, different than maybe, you know, the stuff we've seen from him before, maybe more alongside the things he would produce, like, uh, some, you know, you don't mess with the Zohan, even some other, you know, you've seen his name pop up in, in tons of more pure comedies. A lot of Adam McKay's early stuff with stepbrothers, forgetting Sarah Marshall, even those had kind of more of an emotional core to him. Well, he's Um, also trying to do, um, Christopher guest a little bit here with like, you know, waiting for Guffman or, um, we brought up not Christopher guest, but obviously Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Uh, this movie is essentially just Tropic Thunder in COVID, uh, but not good and not funny and not clever and not ballsy. And um, maybe not even the right word is ballsy. That's, but like, it's just not taking any risks. It just feels like the laziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> just, I, I don't even have words for it. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. And I think part of it is, well, like Judd Apatow, like mm. the joke is that anything that he makes, especially being, known as a comedic director are are far too long and self-indulgent and and to your point where you know you got to this is 40 and you know he was he was getting close to that you know two and a half hour three hour you know uh running time and it was like okay you need to kind of rein yourself in because for every really you know well-constructed um, sequence that is either partly improvised or um you know thought out 
you get like three more that kind of feel like, well, this really didn't need to be in the movie or it doesn't really add anything or it's not that funny. Um, you know, Netflix. So imagine is, a whole movie of that. Yeah. And, and Netflix also being an enabler for the filmmaker to make the movie they want to with, you know, director's cut and, and, and a final approval makes this even more of a problem because usually, you know, you're, you're, you're pro filmmaker when it comes to, you know, getting vision on the yeah. screen. But in this case, it's like, okay, somebody needed to come in and say like, rein this in or cut this out or, you know, why are you making this reference? You're kind of being condescending to the audience or even the critics that are watching this. And you're just watching it as well, because like, you know, besides Leslie Mann and uh, Iris Apatow's daughter, there aren't a lot of Apatow regulars in this. And so I kind of feel that maybe this could have worked a little bit better if it were with people that, he like an been... all-star cast of his kind of yeah, people Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen, Steve Carell. Even take the this is the end route and have them play themselves, right? Then yeah. you're kind of taking the piss out of yourself and kind of being that self-deprecating kind of thing that you're trying for in this, but then you're just kind of And it'd be more relaxed and cliches. less kind of like like I don't hate Karen Gillan, but I kind of feel like she's one of those actors that just there's just something about her that does not click in, in movies and, and like right. whether they like, she's okay in the guardians films yeah. and, and what have you, but, but even then dad, yeah, <laughs> as Nebula. But um, yeah, there's just something about like casting all these actors that are kind of like, some of them are comedians like, you know, Keegan, Michael key and, and, and Fred Armisen, Ar- and but, but, but again, like even Farn Furnison. Yeah. And, and, and Kate McKinnon, who's just obnoxious. Like it made me like the best version of that character is like the studio head. That's getting crap from people higher up was, uh, Kristen Wiig and, and knocked up when like, she's having conversations with Catherine Heigl's character and is kind of doing like that passive aggressive kind of like, mm-hmm. Oh, we're glad to have you, but you know, you should be doing this. Yeah. And I, like she does that 10 times better than Kate McKinnon. Um, and you're just feeling like this is just a completely self-indulgent, self-serving um, sort of wank off that when watching it, it's like Apatow is trying to have his cake and eat it too. And kind of being, you know, this commentary on the studio system, but at the same and time, celebrity in general, it's and... not saying anything that hasn't been said in. No, they're so all cliches and like, you know, yeah, and done better having yeah. an influencer be a part of the cast because she has a huge following and that's the only on reason TikTok. she's in it or the yeah. studio system being the true dinosaurs of the film, because, you know, this is a movie within a movie where, you know, they're working on uh cliff beast six and like, you it's have like a Jurassic park style movie yeah and you have like it one actor played by karen gillen who kind of had a falling out because she left to kind of go on to bigger and better things and thought she was better than everybody else and then she's coming back to part six because her career's kind of in the toilet and you're just thinking like all this stuff has been done better or at least a little bit more clever in other movies and i think the one kind of angle this could have really embraced and it does for maybe one scene and then it kind of backs off is that it could have been a horror comedy where it's almost like the, the set becomes a horror film where, you know, the, these actors can't leave this location mm-hmm. and the studio is, but even so that sequence reminded me of, 
Tropic Thunder, <laughs> like, no, it, it, where it became. I mean, but it's not a horror movie with with that case. Where sure, like, I get what you're saying. I think like but... setting it in sort of a a, a sequestered location, a compound in, and in like, England yeah. specifically, in in the UK, and also having like it reminded me weirdly of like I I know you didn't see it, but like Censor last year kind of did that where like it blended reality. Oh, I thought you only saw part of it. Was that the movie that you saw half of it? Sen- okay, half. The, the sure. film where it's saw about the video nasties where you yeah, have yeah. the, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, the rating board member who's sure, literally yeah. ending up kind of becoming yeah. the star. There could have been an edge or a twist to it that didn't make it this very generic paint by numbers. Like, here's all the cliches you know about Hollywood. Let's kind of poke fun at that stuff in the most obvious way possible. Like, Yeah, and have- blurring the lines between reality and, and celebrity further. And, and it does that for <laughs> like one Scream moment. 3. Yeah, <laughs> which is a masterwork compared to this, which I don't even really like screen is. three. Um, so yeah, like watching this movie, it just kind of felt like you're watching a, a movie that everybody else thinks while they're making it is funnier than it actually is. Yes. And then while watching it, you're just like, I can't wait for this movie to be over. And there incredibly was a- dated with the COVID stuff too. Yes. Like this yeah. is going to look like it's just this shit. 20 years from now is going to people are going to be like what ah, just... speaking of shit i had to go to the bathroom about halfway <laughs> through the movie <laughs> yeah and so i paused at the scene where karen gillen's character begins having an affair with this uh football player uh yeah. soccer for north americans um and when I paused it, there was still about an hour left of the movie. It's never a good thing to pause a movie to no, see dude. how long it, we've talked about this no. before, but when I saw that there was still an hour, left I did of that the like film, two or three times. I, I think just where like, I'm like, no, it's not even that like it's over two hours, but like, it's just for a movie like this, that 85 no. minutes max would have been yeah. fine. Yeah. And, um, I'm trying to find some positives. I remember laughing once or twice, um, throughout the movie, uh, you know, it's just so many people that I do like to like Pedro Pascal, who I just, you know, he's doing the cliche, not method actor, but the kind of, you know, guy who's addicted to sex and drugs and is like, you know, takes everything too seriously kind of thing. Um, I I like Pedro Pascal, but I'm just like, why, dude? Why? David Duchovny as well, which like, I, I like that guy but i just feel like again everyone just feels like they're not even necessarily phoning it in but i think you put it perfectly where it's like it's like on reading the script or maybe in in they had a blast making it but then just like the cast in the movie it's just like it's funny that they're common making commentary on this movie being a disaster and not being good and, and things like that. And then this is the product we get where I'm like, interesting, interesting. Um, you know, and then Keegan also Michael's- it says like, Oh, you know, at the end of it, it, it does this kind of cop out thing where it's like, Oh, even if you didn't enjoy it, at least it's like a distractor for a couple of hours. It's like, fuck you movie. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you no, wasted just- time that I could have been using on something else. And you're so um, up your own ass talking about people being up their own ass that you just completely it's, lose it feels hypocritical sight of what and, it and is weird. It, it's yeah. about and then like even with david company like the other movie i was thinking of with him is like this almost reminded me a little bit of evolution where like that sure. movie's not great either and but like at least that had it has some personality a yeah. little bit didn't it yeah um like all the TikTok stuff is going to be super dated as well with the TikTok dances that go on for way too long, way too long. I'm like, 
he does realize like TikTok dances last 15 seconds in a TikTok, right? But it's a Judd like, Apatow movie. 15 why seconds is are the, like five minutes in a Why in is the TikTok dance so long? And like, multiple that's not a, dances. And, and oh my God, when they when they start adding the dance in to the fake movie and Cliff Beasts too, like I get that that's also supposed to be like a this meta commentary thing that it's supposed to be awful in the movie, but I'm just like this, none of this is working. None of this. And I did laugh a few times. Like we said, we're in full spoilers. So if you haven't watched it, sorry don't um like john cena popping up i always just laugh at john cena i don't know like peacemaker himself um he's the stunt coordinator and he has to do it through zoom and i'm like god bless you um you see daisy ridley pop up in in a strange sequence james mcavoy plays himself the only Oh, Beck playing himself, which was weird. Oh, it, that sequence was I hated awful, that scene so much. Where they all start dancing. And it's just like, it's, I it, I don't know. Dude. It's it's awful. Um, it truly is awful. Really the only it looks scene, cheap. It looks like it just. The only know. scene I laughed at, and it wasn't because the scene was funny. It was because of how improbable it was, was at the end of the movie, there's this behind the scenes documentarian capturing all the, sure, yeah. you know, the behind the scene moments. And isn't that also in Tropic Thunder where they make a documentary about the movie? Cause they yeah, yeah, yeah. It? And then Ben Stiller wins the Oscar for best actor in, in a documentary. But, it, but, but with this, <laughs> like the thing that I laughed at was that there, there in no world, whether it be Judd Apatow's or the real world or a multiverse or what have you, is that there would be a red carpet premiere like that for a documentary. Never. <laughs> even Not going to happen. Like even you don't think like, say now we're getting into real life things. Say Jurassic park dominion absolutely goes to shit during like, and the whole thing gets, someone gets their hand blown off uh, like Laura Dern's hand gets blown off and like the whole thing goes to shit and there's this crazy story and a, and a DVD behind the scenes guy recorded it all. Um, you don't think that that, that thing would premiere and no, of because I already that? have the perfect example for that. And what this movie's also trying to do <laughs> the apocalypse with, now thing. Yeah. Heart of darkness. Yeah. That yeah. documentary, I mean, is it's great. It, it is an amazing I mean, there are other movies as well, like burden of dreams and, and you know lost in la mancha and things like that that kind of chronicle like disastrous productions and are really cursed films yeah that are that are even you know like better than the movies themselves other than with with the exception of apocalypse now which i do think is truly a masterpiece but you look at heart of darkness you know the 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 making of that movie and like all the things that went wrong Mm. and people having heart attacks and like just it becoming a a mess but yet still they managed to come you know through at the end even though it still was a slog but that movie when it came out in the early 90s like didn't get all that kind of like red carpet coverage the way that like any studio film does documentaries just don't get Mm. that kind of um, you know, accessibility and and, and no, I agree. I'm, I'm just so. playing devil's advocate for the most part. But, but I do, but yeah, I do agree with you. Where it's like I, I, I do kind of like think in a world where like this is being done, like it could be interesting to have like documentaries kind of be on that level. Like that would be a funny joke, sure. but if it's it was not. It's just yeah. Um, I will say the people I like the most were the people playing the regular people not the actors like um even if it doesn't always work so you have like um like i mentioned verdas playing the hotel manager you have uh, maria bakalova playing one of the hotel employees 
Um, you have Harry uh, Trevaldwin as uh, the COVID safety officer. And like, there was a couple sequences with them as they're just like kind of that juxtaposition between the shitty actors in this situation and the crew in that situation that I think there could have been something interesting there if you actually wanted to make something interesting in this movie. And it doesn't really do anything with them, but I will say like, that group of people like when they were together or interacting with this cast like i didn't hate them if that makes sense but like the movie itself is just is a disservice to all of them for the most part because like they don't really have much to do and if they do it's like you know obvious covid jokes for the safety officer you know you have um kind of maria bakalova who just had an academy award nomination right for borat like, yeah for borat like just doing this kind of just trying to push you know pedro pascal's character away the whole movie and this kind of weird thing um but i will say them i think out of because they weren't maybe as heavily shown <laughs> maybe that's why right i don't know and also i mean like it is it is trying to make the point that you know like these movie stars that are sequestered or, or quarantined in you know these giant you know hotels and, and and hotel rooms are are kind of you know they have it easy and they do and it's like you're watching this and you're like seeing you know karen gillen's character like you know slowly unravel over the course of two weeks but she's in this beautifully opulent yeah. you know space. where she has the internet she has tv she has unlimited food and drinks and yeah and it's and just like there that, are yeah. some people that would literally kill her. and i know that that's what the movie is kind of trying to say but it just doesn't do it in a very good job it's just so flat all the way through and and like we keep going back to like it's so out laziest. of touch yeah, the laziest surface level commentary on all of that. Like, it's just everything you would just expect from the tip of of poking fun or or criticizing that kind of behavior from all these people is like it never goes past that, and it just feels like, yeah, we get it. And there are tons of other movies, like Eric mentioned, that have done this and done them either much better or at least kind of in a different clever way where I just feel like everything is every cliche. It's like, okay, we got to have the uh, comic relief guy. We got to have the stunt guy. We have to have the older guy who, you know, is the more serious guy. We have to have the, you know, the woman who uh, wanted to leave the franchise and come we back. We have to, to have it. the yeah. hip indie filmmaker yeah. who's now yeah. been poached by the studio to do this big, you know, blockbuster after having a critically acclaimed film play and at I, Sundance. Fred and I like Fred Arms. Yes, he's yeah. Do you <laughs> I like, like him, him in, in general? I like him in Portlandia. I think and he's certain very good things in that. he fits, but he's always does his thing, and I never can take it seriously. And I know you're not necessarily supposed to in this, but like you almost wish you did a little bit. Like you could have gotten an interesting actor to play that indie. There could have been something interesting there, right? Like this yeah. guy gets brought in to direct the new Jurassic Park movie and he directed a Sundance movie. And like there's interesting nuggets in this movie where they just take the cheap joke route and the kind of slapsticky kind of like pure comedy route where Apatow, you think like even if in his other stuff, there are some pros and cons in it, the length being a con in a lot of his stuff, but there usually is like an emotional core or some emotional depth to the movie that I just feel like it's weird. He just said, nah, fuck it. I'm just going to make something purely stupid and 
it's going to be a commentary, but I'm not going to have any of that in there. Right. And I'm not saying that everyone has to do the same thing over and over and over and over again, but then that's also kind of why you go back to watch certain people's movies. And, and I just feel like something like this, I, I don't know. There's just nothing in there more than what you see on the surface. And it's just, oh, a COVID movie about a bunch of whiny celebrities making a movie. And all the commentary on the special effects stuff that they do, and it just all looks bad. And, and even the Cliff Beast thing, like, make it believable that it's this franchise that you you know, people cared about and that there's six movies of and all this shit. It just feels like a TV movie through and through. And it's just to your point, Netflix can be fantastic with filmmakers by going, you know what? We have the flexibility. It's not really a big deal. We'll give you freedom to do whatever you want and it'll work sometimes. And sometimes it won't. And in this case, it's like, yeah, maybe you still do need someone kind of reining you in a little bit because sometimes having final cut and free reign isn't necessarily the best uh, way to do things. And it's just, it's one of those movies where you're like, Oh my God, it, it made me question if I actually liked doing this and if I liked movies, it's an existential you know, like, crisis in a bubble. And, and, and ah! you know, going back to like the look of cliff beast, like at least make it look like a real movie, like put, the money and effort into that to be like okay like if we're gonna spend time in that world like show us something that could be on par with jurassic world that's what i mean and you i know? hate to keep bringing up tropic thunder but even those or even cable trailers, guy cable yeah. judd apatow produced cable guy which ben stiller directed and leslie mann is a co-star in that film and that's where i think they actually met there are sequences in that movie where you watch like you know, on TV, there these inserts where like Ben Stiller plays the Menendez brothers or, uh, sure, yeah. you know, during the court case. And then Eric Roberts plays the TV movie version of them. And then like, like there's stuff like that in, in that movie that says more about our kind of fascination with, you know, celebrity, but also at the time when, when cable and television were as addictive as they, they, I mean, they still are, but in a, a different way, different way, yeah. but it still kind of feels like, okay, well, at least cable guy was onto something and kind of also was re weirdly dark and funny. And it's absurd. also weird to go the Jurassic park route for this too, and not do like a superhero movie or something like yeah. that. Like it, it's just, and I agree with you that like that those inserts in Tropic Thunder, in Cable Guy, in Funny People, even like the Adam Sandler Funny People bits where they're showing the fake movies feel like real Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, like, they feel like Jack they, and Jill. Yeah, and and that is funny where you don't put any of that in here to make any of this buy into this world of that this is something people have watched, and even if you're doing that to the 10th degree to kind of make fun of it it's just even cliff beast itself looks like like if i again i'm gonna go back to tropic thunder because it's just a much better movie than this and it's the exact same movie um it those sequences with ben stiller in the uh what was the movie in that it was called the action franchise where you like hell freezes over kind of thing i forget what it was but all those fake trailers like the booty sweat and like uh bust a nut bust a nut <laughs> like all those added to it those fake trailers and they felt even the toby Maguire, robert downey jr um 
uh, priests in love kind of movie felt like a real movie. And you're poking fun at that Sundance movies, actors taking themselves too seriously. Like maybe you're not going to go as far as Tropic Thunder, but like what Robert Downey Jr. doing that in that movie and committing to that bit and being like actors who take themselves way too seriously and will do horrible things to for a role and method acting and all this kind of stuff we just talked about morbius and jared leto like there's some commentary to be made and and you could have taken that and maybe you date the movie but each movie should be you know a a moment in time and this movie does it in a way where it's just covid that's how we date the movie and it's not based on poking fun at the franchises and the types of actors and the things it's just general cliches about Hollywood and actors that like anyone can know and it's like it doesn't really even feel that inside baseball or anything like that because it just feels so again surface level and it was just so frustrating and like it's just completely unfunny and overlong and unfunny um, people should have been the name of this movie anyways I'm gonna give it a one it's very bad yeah this is this is truly the worst sort of like behind the scenes making of a movie movie since burn hollywood burn which was a film that literally has alan smithy in the title and for people that don't know alan smithy is the name of uh, the filmmaker that people use when they don't want their real name uh as a director on that and i think judd apatow should have done the same <laughs> who actually directed that movie um burn hollywood burn. oh shit i you know it's i, okay. I, I know someone's screaming it off the top of their lungs but it's i have seen it for Tweet so us. long yeah <laughs> I could Google it. What is it? Burn, burn Hollywood, Hollywood burn. burn. I haven't seen it in so long. I don't even think I've actually seen it. Um, burn Hollywood Hearn. Uh, burn. Arthur Hiller is uh, the director. Because I was going to say um, Walter Hill, but Walter Hill um, had his own fiasco with um, Supernova. Yeah. And then so he he really wanted nothing to do with it. Eh? Yeah. He just put Alan Smithy on the title. Um fascinating stuff yeah i if you listen to this you maybe watch the movie and you needed to hear people talk about it um uh maybe you didn't and you just like listening to us but don't go watch it it's very bad again i hate being you know it sucks when you don't like a movie and i again i will go back to most of those judd apatow movies i at least like and yeah. like, if not really like some of his earlier stuff. Well, again, talking and, about like a time capsule of, of a movie, like I think the 40 year old version, which was his first you know feature film as a director, kind of hit at that moment in 2005 where it felt like it combined both the the raunchy aspects of a high concept comedy with the sweetness of sort of the 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 buddy comedy, but also the romantic angle and it kind of was kind of immature, but did it in a way that didn't feel icky in the sense that like a lot of movies can easily date, especially with comedies from the seventies and eighties. And, and like he was conscientious of being somebody that was very much um, progressive in, in, in that nature and, and being open-minded and even with knocked up. And then those movies, you, you watch them now, like there's a lot of pop culture references specifically that are, of the moment specifically like which is knocked fine. up there's a scene where they're all talking about going to see spider-man 3 which the film opened like a couple weeks before spider-man 3 came out so like you know like that now is so of its time and but i'm fine with the movie being of its time i am right? too like i'm too what i'm trying to say was that i think i i still think that that works 
better. Yes, And I totally. also think because of his repertoire in those movies are people he's worked with multiple times, both in television and film, that they're more comfortable with the process of just kind of like the improv, where this, like, you have a lot of actors kind of trying to act the scene and not you know kind of feel it out and that hurts it as well so it's it's a one star movie it's terrible like i mean there's nowhere to go but up and i was thinking like even with the king of staten island like it was like okay like he's getting back to doing kind of like these you know character driven vehicles for Flawed movies characters yeah and... for movie stars like or, yeah. or movie stars and training training like you you know you yeah. look at that in train wreck and like he's propping comedians up that he likes and this like the bubble it's like who is this for what are you why are you making this movie like what is this really even saying it's just all a bunch of malarkey <laughs> you're not wrong I think he probably bounces back with This Is 50, I'm assuming, is going to be his next thing. He's already kind of talked about it, and we're 10 years after This Is 40, so it kind of, you know, it'll be his before trilogy, I guess. Yeah. Um, That's what I assume he probably does next, and, you know, I didn't love This Is 40. I'd be curious to go back and rewatch it, I guess, when... um, uh when This Is 50 ultimately gets made. I'm sure he'll do um, something else before then, like... I don't know, man. I mean, I know he's producing. Um, I think it's Bros. He's producing next, or he has something to do with the Nicholas Stoller made movie. Um, Maybe he's always kind of. And again, he's producing stuff. I love Pop Star. I love Anchorman. I love uh, for, forgetting Sarah Marshall's Step Brothers, like I mentioned. Yeah, there was that time, like right after Forty Year Old Virgin and Knocked Up, like yeah. he became an he was- industry onto himself. Yeah, you know, so I don't know. Unfortunate. Uh, don't go watch it. Um, we had a bad weekend, everyone. You can go also listen to our review of Morbius. Um, it truly was. Uh, dude, we haven't even talked about that. Both of those movies came out on April Fool's Day. Like they the feel like on us. They feel like pranks. Like they really do. They're like, ah, you fuckers had to watch this shit. April Fool's. Um, so uh, go check out our Morbius review, I guess, as well. Um, and then, uh, we also have a review for Apollo 10 and a half, a space, space aged age childhood, sorry. Um, which you guys can check out, which is not nearly as bad as, as these two movies I just mentioned. And then also a movie we love every, if you want a good time on. waster, that is a good time. Waster. That is a good, it's an okay time waster. I, I like it. I don't like it as much as you will. You like it more now though. Yeah. Um, and uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. We have tons of uh, content leading into the uh, opening of that movie. So go check out our review uh, of the movie, which Eric and I both loved. Go check out our interviews, which you guys should probably be able to get kind of right now, if not very, very soon. You do have Eric's um, interview with, uh, is it Key or K? Sorry. Key. Key. Ki Hui Kwan uh, from Everything Everywhere All at Once. And then Eric and I also interviewed the Daniels, and that was a blast. Um, very, very funny. We talk Talking about, to the D's. Uh, uh, we talk about Randy Newman. I drop out of the call because my Zoom couldn't handle handle Randy Newman's name being uttered. Um, we talk about the VFX. We talk about uh, the editing process, and just I had a blast talking to those guys. Those guys rule. Uh, so go check that out as well. Well, and Eric and I, we don't do many interviews anymore. We have guests here and there, but 
um, it was fun to do that. So maybe we'll do more of that uh, moving forward this year. Um, thank you all for listening or watching. We really do appreciate it. I can't believe we did 32 minutes on this movie. Uh, as long go, as it's a Judd Apatow movie, it's, it's go check long. out, uh, all of everything, everywhere you need all at once over on untitled underscore movies on letterboxd, as well as follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. I'm Eric Martin. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Ugh, this movie nearly destroyed me.